And a welcome to all of you who are watching this uh, on the internet. This gospel here, it begins with these words. When the angels went away from them to heaven. Alright, so what's happened is Jesus has been born to Mary and Joseph. And he's in the stable in the manger in a cave. If you ever get to go to Bethlehem, it's, it's a phenomenal experience. And out in the fields are these shepherds, these kind of lowly peasants. And they're visited by angels, and the angels tell them what's happened. That the Messiah, the Savior, has been born. And he's been born right over there in that cave. And uh, this is the, the day of reckoning for them, the day, their day of salvation. So the, the shepherds are enthralled by having seen the angels and heard from the angels. And then this whole mystery of, of this baby Messiah. And so then they go and visit the baby Messiah. Okay. So, but this has given me this idea of talking about the angels. Angels are something that we all have. We all have a guardian angel. We're assigned a guardian angel, at least at the moment we were born, if not even in the womb, assigned a guardian angel from God. So, a brief little background about angels. Angels uh, are messengers, mostly, at least the kind of angels that deal with us are messengers. That's literally where the root from their name, angels, comes from back in Hebrew, meaning messengers of God. And then they're divided into nine choirs we hear in the scriptures, and I'll talk about those very briefly. Uh, And the angels have a vested interest in getting us to heaven. All right, because they love God and God loves us and he assigns the angels to help us, okay? So for that reason and that reason alone, the angels are excited to help us. But the other is this. The tradition holds that when Lucifer rebelled against God and took a third of the angels with him, that the end of the world wouldn't come or the second coming of Christ wouldn't come until the third of the angels that were missing from heaven had been replaced by people. So if there's 7.4 billion people on earth now, and think of all the billions that have ever lived, or the billions that will probably live into the future, the number of angels must be enormous if the human race that's going to get to heaven, and remember, not everyone does, but those who are, are going to fill only a third of the seats that God had created for the angels. Meaning that the number of angels is huge. Presumably in the many, many billions of angels. And then God did, and so this, getting back to this motivation for why our guardian angel loves us so much, heaven is incomplete until the seats or the spaces of the third of the fallen angels have been filled by people. And our angels desperately want to get each one of us there. And then finally, when it's full, heaven is what God meant for it to be. So the angels are serving us for love of God, and then they're willing themselves to love us. But also, too, they've got this other motivation to complete heaven, because it wasn't what it should have been with the fall of the angels. All right. Now, when we think of angels, we might think, too, in terms of power. And this is really the gist of my point that I'm making here tonight. Power. We just thirst for it even if you aren't aware of it. That power is the root of all evil sort of thing. It goes all the way back to the angel Lucifer and his thirst for power. 
than whether he wanted to be equal to God or not. Okay, that's one thing. But once he realized God would take on flesh, and what's worse, that the greatest of all of creations would be a woman who's not even an angel, Lucifer couldn't stand it. I got two kittens last summer, so they're like young adults right now. And when I pet Scholastica, the girl, Benedict watches my hand go up and down her body, and he cannot stand it. He's like, I'm going to beat you up, girl. You're taking all the love from dad, kind of thing. Within even animals and creatures, there's this kind of thing of power. I want what I want, kind of deal. And so when we get to Christmas, it's like the exact opposite of power. So the entire, you know, news on the internet or news on cable, uh, on the radio or on TV and all that, really that's all about power, isn't it? The people in power doing, what are they doing, what are they doing? And then I've got my own projection of power into this whole thing. A dollar bill, if I hold it up, it just symbolizes power. It has the power to do something. The clothing that I'm wearing signifies some kind of power, in this case a chasuble, which is only worn to consecrate the Eucharist. It's really amazing. The car that you drive is some kind of a status symbol for you. Where all the clothes that we wear, everything is caught up somehow in power. In power. And then comes Jesus. When Jesus comes into the world this first time, he doesn't come like he will the second time. In all of his power and glory as God. Where he comes on the clouds of heavens with multitudes of angels, maybe billions, maybe he empties heaven. And it says to all the angels, follow me. And they all just rush and fly with him down to earth to proceed to judge the living and the dead. And then to burn the earth and the heavens and create a new earth and a new heavens. And it's nothing but perfection and peace and joy and love for eternity. When that day comes, we'll see him display his power for who he is. But in this coming, he doesn't. He comes like super poor. His parents have zero power, zero status. They've got nothing. They don't even have money. They've got nothing. They got a donkey. That's all they got. That's all they got, a donkey. And here he comes. For God, what's powerful for us is not power as we imagine it. For God, what's powerful for us is humility. It's humility. Let's say that of all of the virtues, the however many you want to count, at least 64 virtues, faith, hope, love, prudence, temperance, uh, justice, fortitude, chastity, you know, everything you can think of that's good. It all ultimately flows out of love, doesn't it? Like, God is love. John says that in the Bible. God is love. That's a complicated thing to understand. It's actually complicated. But what he's saying is God is so loving that this is an expression of his beingness, is his love. And for the angels, the first thing, the first virtue they act upon to display their love for their creator is humility. It's humility. Humility is who I truly am before God. And the angels crave to be who they are, who they were created to be before the throne of God. They want to love and adore God as they were created to be. 
and to be no one else or to be nothing bigger or lesser than what they were created to be, but to be and to be all of what they are in complete and total perfection, which means humility. When the angels fell, one of the small T traditions is that the principalities, that the principalities and the dominions of those two angels, those two groups of the nine choirs, were, fell in a disproportionate amount. And the reason is that the dominions govern the lesser angels and that the principalities govern people. And that these two choirs of angels, the dominions and the principalities, in governing, struggled with their humility. But the other ones, the seraphim, the cherubim, the throne, whose job is to worship God, that's their job, to worship God, which is a greater power for God than exercising authority over others, is to adore God. That is the most precious thing that God can see an angel or a human being doing, is to adore him. And you can do that from a prison cell with no power at all. The nine choirs, the seraphim, adore God. The cherubim, the knowledge of God, they guard the guardian of Eden that it may not be found again. They guard the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden of Eden. And they guard the throne of God. Thrones, the chair that God sits on, the Father, Son, and Spirit, they occupy, they sit upon angels called thrones. And when the cherubim fly around and the other angels fly around, the thrones will literally host them and carry them to their place. The dominions governing the lesser angels of the virtues who are governing nature and the celestial realms, the powers, the powers, the ultimate angels of humility, the exact opposite of what we think power is. For the powers have power over evil. That wasn't granted to them until the fall of the angels. Then these super humble angels were classified as powers and given power over the enemy and the other angels. But it was in their humility. And then the principalities which governed nations and groups of people and the archangels, the machinations of people. So think science and politics and whatever people are doing. And then finally the rank and file angels, which is the vast majority of Their job is to help you and I individually get to heaven. These are the nine choirs of angels. And what is so pleasing and beautiful and perfect to God is their humility. Them being nothing compared to God. And then God rewards them with power, if you will. But a being and a job to do. And they love it. So I say all of this to say this, that none of us are powerful people. We're all within a few years, all of us will be dead, right? Whether that's tomorrow or a hundred years from now, compared to eternity, it's the blink of an eye anyway, right? And then a hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, we'll be lucky if we're a name and a genealogy. There'll be no one visiting our grave. There'll be no one saying, oh, what a great person this was. Those are like one in a million, maybe one in whatever, millions, where that kind of thing happens. The vast majority of the human race comes and goes from the face of the earth. And what do we make of our time? The time needs to be given in some way to God. To God. 
That's going to require humility. That's what we see in God becoming a baby. That's what we see in God becoming bread that we might eat him. Is he showing us that if you really want power, if you really want liberation from whatever, if you really want to rule, then be humble. Be humble. Just as God in his infinite glory humbled himself to be born of a baby to poor, powerless people. And then he humbled himself further to be turned into bread for us to eat. And then he humbled himself further to let us put him on that cross. And then, then he won. Then he ruled all. Christmas is so appealing to us because I think in some kind of subconscious way, unlike, you know, celebrating the second coming of Jesus, I think most people would freak out at that. Like, oh, I'm not quite ready for that. But this coming, the first coming of Jesus, everyone goes, oh, I can handle that. He's powerless. There's nothing there for me to fear. And I, and I, and I can relate to that because I've gone through that. I've been born. And I've been powerless. And guess what? I still am. So I can relate to him. I can relate to him. And I can relate to those angels who are filled with humility, pure humility, to serve God completely and totally. Okay. So now where do we go from today? Where we go from today is to make sure that we're good angels. And every day we pray. Not just when we need something and want something from God like he's our servant. He's not our servant. We're his. But that we pray every day to adore him, to contemplate him, to serve him. And that we live the Catholic faith, the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith that Jesus gave to the 12 apostles that had been passed down to us for 2,000 years. So we pray every day. We go to Mass on Sunday. And we go to confession with some kind of frequency. And we do our best to be humble people before God. But then one day we'll get to reign as stars in the sky in the firmament. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing to hear. So going back to those shepherds in the fields, this is what they hear. What? The Messiah has come? Angels have come to me? There's hope for me? There's hope for me that that I'll be able to leave this world one day and join those angels. And and it's because that Messiah, who's a baby in that cave over there, is going to do that for me. I'm going to find out more about him. And I'm going to try to love him and serve him. And then one day I'll join those angels. And I'll never be out here filthy, dirty, freezing cold in these fields again. Because of that one who came. The one who created the angels, the one who created the heavens, and the one who loved me enough to come to earth for me in profound humility and to ultimately die and to bring me home to heaven. So there it is. We're all shepherds. In God's eyes, in truth, we're powerless, we're penniless, we're dirty shepherds, completely dependent upon the goodwill of God. And today he comes to us in the most non-threatening, personal way we could imagine, as a baby. And he will say, love me. Love me today. Love me every day. And love me into heaven.